0: Knowles. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. As always, a big shout out to Seminole Boosters, longtime supporter of this program. Thank you to those of you who are Seminole Boosters and supporting Florida State Athletics. We are excited for the new year. Annual Fund, Bowden Society, Coaches Club, all almost to goal. So if you haven't stepped up already, I invite you to do so. And again, thanks to, to Seminole Boosters for supporting Front Row Knowles. With that said, and without further ado, here's this week's show.
1: Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way.
0: Tom Block and Keith Jones, with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. KJ, it's been uh, at least a couple of days since I saw you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well.
2: I'm doing well, and as we'll be hopefully. Uh, brought out because some of the uh, work you have done, some research that you've done, which you've shared that hopefully we'll get into in our segment with uh, Bob Ferranti, uh, I have I have contracted with and now have the services of our own um, Front Row Knowles Bear. If you're familiar with Saturday mornings and game yes. day, uh, we we now have a research analyst. So I'd like to share with you this installment of what he has come up with. The uh, FSU Duke game was the most viewed game of all of the ABC games on Saturday. And candidly, by far, had the highest viewership of any primetime game on any network. Was the number one ACC game and the number three game amongst all games nationally. So maybe we're starting to get a little traction maybe people are starting to pay a little more attention.
0: I've always felt that Duke really moves the needle, Keith. So I appreciate you sharing that.
2: Well, I think that's what's a, amazing. That's about a, that's a numbers, joke, folks. That's a joke. I was fixing to say what's amazing about those numbers. It was Duke. It was really
0: Duke. So Florida state actually has been the top rated ACC game four out of the seven weeks it's played this year. And. Two of the other weeks, they were the second most watched game behind a Notre Dame game against an ACC opponent. The Notre Dame-Louisville game and the Notre Dame-Duke game. FSU finished second in those weeks. And then the, the last week was against Southern Miss, which was on the ACC network, and they don't even put that in the, in the ratings on Sports Media Watch. Your point, though, is right on. Florida State moves the needle. I think we know this and this year has certainly established it and FSU's on ABC again this week against Wake Forest.
2: And we've forgotten all about this, but it's coming up next week, the the football playoff committee will release their first weekly rankings. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that fares and what goes on in the weeks that follow as long as FSU continues
0: to win. Well, FSU's game control against Duke was not very impressive. So, if they bring that stat back, we're all going to have consternation again. Well, you know,
2: everybody, you know, every coach's salary should be tied proportionally to that stat
0: instead of wins. That's and how losses. important it is. That's how important yeah, it is. Exactly. All right. Bob Franti will join us next. We'll talk uh, FSU Duke, FSU Wake Forest. It's all straight ahead right here on Front Row Nulls.
1: Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith.
0: Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones, and our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Hello, sir.
3: How are you, Bob? Doing great. Uh, How are you guys?
0: We are well. We have not... Had a chance to debrief since Saturday night. Keith and I have, but we haven't heard your take on it. So as we're middle of the next week, what stands out to you looking back at a memorable night at Doe Campbell Stadium?
3: You know, I thought I thought it was a great atmosphere, honestly. You know, to have that kind of crowd there at night. The coaching staff has reinforced, big recruiting weekend. I think Derek Rice said there was a hundred or more prospects. So when they have that kind of atmosphere, it helps build the future football team. So A lot of positives there on the field uh, we like to use the term complimentary football that's a that's a Patrick Burnham favorite it felt like this was very very complimentary from that deuce span you know kickoff return that was you know really you could see the blocking was exceptional leading up to him getting up to speed that was a moment after a bad moment with with the, the pick six for deuce to get the return and I think you felt the offense, the defense feel some of that energy off that play. And I I have to say, you know, Jordan Travis, yes, plays some great football when it matters most, but the defense, again, three straight shutouts in second halves. Um, It's been more than a a month since we've seen Force Eight give up a a second half touchdown. And that was to Will Shipley against Clemson. So you're stacking really good performances. I kind of joked, on the Osceola, that, that maybe Chip Baker needs to come up with something, some kind of spiked baseball for this defense. It's not a full spiked baseball, but it, it merits something for what uh, what these defensive guys have done these last three second halves.
2: Well, maybe instead of a Phillips head screw, he can use a common or flat screw, and that'll be the distinguishing factor between it. What do you think?
3: I, I, I don't want to ring for- up the – yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I don't want to speak for Chip, but he's he's retired now, so he he may have passed that duty on to somebody else, Keith. I'm just, just saying. Bob, your point about the defense is, is a good one because whenever we have, it feels like whenever Florida State struggles, the conversation starts with, well, the defense couldn't get them off the field. Uh, when there's – to me this year, a lot of times it's been, well, the offense went three and out or punted or stalled or was inconsistent – not just have they had the shutout since Will Shipley, but if you look at the course of the year, the first team defense has only allowed 20 points in the second half all year. I mean, 13 at Boston College and seven against Clemson is it. So, I don't know what they're doing at halftime, but it seems to be working.
3: It, it sounds like Fabian Lovett uh, lit a fire, so to speak, in the, in the locker room at, at halftime, and Norvell was asked about it on Monday and said, "I, I we were making adjustments as coaches, and you know, he wasn't there, hadn't, hadn't seen it, heard it. I I think, I think these guys, these players know what they're capable of. Let's really start there. They know they're capable of better. How much of it is, is truly coaching adjustments. How much of it is players are aware of what they can individually do to make this defense um, so incredibly good. Um, I've kind of likened it to you look at some of the stats of the defensive players, and you might think, well, Braden Fisk, the tackle numbers aren't high, for example, but how he impacts every play, the pressures, I, I think we're, we're just seeing a, a ton of pressure without high sack numbers, for example, those pressures develop into good things for a defense. So it's just a lot of positives, I think, that are stacking up. We're seeing better play f- from Shaheen Brown. I, I think the linebackers are, are playing a little bit better, too, of late, Akeem Dent's return might have been significant we've pointed to the defensive line rotation you know mike Norbell making this a storyline of you have to have championship depth if you want to be like a georgia you need to have rotational depth so everybody's fresh i i do think it's it's just a defense it's starting to really feel comfortable in what it can do it, it doesn't always look pretty early uh there's a lot of bend in that first half there's a lot of Breaking of the offenses will, I think, in the second half, when when defenses are showing that that they're rested, they're healthy, and, and they're not going to let you have success, red zone, getting toward the end zone.
2: Well, I have a I have a request, Bob, specifically of you. Uh, I would prefer that the offense score twenty one points in the third quarter, not score twenty one points in the fourth quarter. Could you please relay that to uh, management?
3: Yes, and. I, I think we this is what's so funny about about, yes, the the offense is fun to watch and has scored 30 points in in 13 straight games now and it it might be 14 by Saturday at four o'clock at wake. But it almost feels like we we look at the offense and say, hmm, could have done a little bit better here. Could have done a little bit better there. Um, at times could have distributed the ball better. Could have run better with the traditional run game there are still things where you look at the offense and say they're just not hitting their full potential. But by the end of the night, you say, well, bad gum. they scored 38 against a top five or top 10 Duke defense. You know, by the end of the night, it all worked out. But sometimes that journey of getting there was really maybe less comfortable than I think a lot of fans might've, might've wanted or, or hoped for.
2: There was a lot of tunnels and interstates as opposed to, uh, Trips amongst the mountains and in
0: the scenery.
3: They're not They're not all interstates here.
0: I'm going to take full credit. I passed, uh, I guess he would be considered the veteran scribe in Tallahassee at this point, Jim Henry, right? Maybe it's Jerry Kutz, I guess. So don't let me sell Jerry. Anyway, I passed Jim and Brian Henry on the way into the stadium, and they were asking my thoughts on the game. I said, I really feel like it's going to be uncomfortable for a long time and and that's exactly what happened on it but as I, as I rewatched the game I, I I felt better about the way the defense played bob uh, you know obviously the the long scoring run that got duke up the defensive edge ne- and never set the edge there was a hold on the linebacker and there was a terrible angle by cypress so it took a trifecta of things there and duke gets it but after that uh Probably, and I didn't look this up, probably the best starting field position the offense had all game was off of the interception by Shaheem, I think. And then the defense, after the failed fourth down, they gave up six yards, held him to a field goal. Before half, they didn't let him get more than a field goal. So, in all things considered, I, I, I do feel like we're selling them a little bit short. And I know Duke's not a juggernaut on offense, but I don't know. Did you guys feel better or worse after watching the game again? Let me tell you, in
2: today's world, anytime you can hold an opponent to 300 yards or less, you know, a couple of decades ago, it was 200 yards or less. And maybe when they first introduced face masks to the leather helmets, it was 100 yards or less. But when you hold any offense, I don't care who they are, to 300 yards or less, and the memory serves, Duke had 283 or 293. That's a pretty outstanding performance.
3: Yeah, this this wasn't the Bobby Bowden needs to send Fred Goldsmith an apology letter Duke. This is a a much better version of Duke. I, I think we, the coaches and, and I think the media will say this is a really good Duke team throughout the week and in stories and conversations and radio shows and podcasts. But then when the game comes, I still think a lot of fans say, well, it's just Duke this wasn't just an, it's just Duke type of team. I was talking to William Floyd at halftime. I said "That, that Duke line is really, really good. I mean, both lines, honestly, the offensive line, defensive line. I thought up front, there were times where Duke really pushed around Florida State up front. And I think it did take sort of that punch. And then the response, Mike Norvell loves responses. I do think this was a response from Florida State of, Hey, we had to get, hit to know what we were going to see for four quarters and if we wanted to respond and win that game and and of course you know in Florida State's case happy to see that it happened even though again the journey wasn't a wasn't a straight shot interstate
0: well be careful
2: what you say about anything related to do because you might very well see them again in Charlotte that is not out of the realm of possibility
3: yeah we've we've debated that I mean it, it could be North Carolina even though they've stumbled against Virginia here, but it it feels like that second team going to Charlotte is up for grabs. Could it be Louisville with a little bit of a easier schedule this year, but a a great year one for Jeff Brown. It could be Duke. If Riley Leonard comes back from this injury, they look like a functional offense. If he doesn't come back, I, I still have a lot of questions there, but yeah, you could see a really good team. You could see Duke yet again in Charlotte for sure.
0: Obviously, if Riley can't play, then that's going to sink Duke's chances. I Watching that again, it didn't look to me like he rolled the ankle again. It looked to me, and I'm speaking as somebody who's had terrible ankles and had my ankle reconstructed. You do the rehab, and no matter how much rehab you do, and this would probably be the same on a wrist or anything else, at some point when you have to really forcibly stop on it, I don't know if it's ripping of scar tissue or what it is, but it's an immense pain that is different than re-rolling the ankle because he seemed to be fine 15 minutes later, but Elko wasn't going to put him back in, uh, thankfully, I'll say. So I, I don't know if he's, if he's going to play or not. That was just my takeaway. It wasn't like somebody fell on the ankle again. I, that is the question, though, Bob, that, that we'll never have answered if he doesn't leave the game. It was first and 10 at the 11 for Duke when he left. And to me, Keith and I discussed this, I'm still of the opinion that Florida State would have won. Now, Duke might have scored a touchdown that drive, but what it really came down to, you would had a full quarter left, was FSU's defense going to stop Duke more frequently than Duke's defense was going to stop FSU? And I don't think Duke's defense was going to stop FSU the rest of the night. They didn't, as it turned out, whether Riley was in the game or not. So that's, you know, it would have been a touchdown closer. That's kind of my takeaway. It doesn't matter to debate this at this point, because we'll never know. But that is sort of the sentiment that's out there, certainly among Duke fans.
3: Yeah, I I hate it that it happened for Riley Leonard. I didn't think he was going to be back at all for this game. Let's be honest. I mean, I think the timeline for a high ankle has been four to six weeks, typically. Although it should be noted, Jerry did some of the research. Duke has one of the better foot and ankle hospitals and, and medical facilities as far as rehab. So if anybody was out there to get him in position to play in this game. It was going to be Duke's medical staff, but, but yeah, you're right. This defense, I think well-rested going down the stretch. We've seen this defensive line rotation, what kind of advantages they can bring as far as just being able to apply pressure regardless of who the quarterback was. But, but to see, I think also under hundred yards passing from both of those quarterbacks combined, we, we didn't expect, um, we didn't expect them to do a ton of damage, maybe through the air. I think there were some questions about Duke's receivers because we, we felt like they could run, but it, it was really a very very good defensive effort. I felt like overall.
2: All right, change gears. We got another ball game coming up. Uh, Tom and I, for years and years and years, have complained about uh, playing Paul Johnson's uh, Georgia Tech offense because they the offensive linemen you know didn't play fair. Didn't play fair. And now you got Wake coming up with the slow mesh, uh, which I will tell you drives me absolutely nuts. Which is probably why it's ever a good thing to run, uh, but it it poses a different a different challenge on defense.
3: Yeah, it was interesting. You know, Tatum Bethune was talking after practice on Tuesday, and he said that was my worst game last year, was the game against Wake, and I think it was just. He had never faced it. And and it's really, really tough. You know, KJ, you know, if I'm wrong, tell me, but how do you replicate that slow mesh in practice? Can a scout team quarterback do it? I don't think it looks anywhere near the same on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as what you're going to see on Saturday. And we can say that Sam Hartman's gone and he's in South Bend. And we can say that Wake doesn't have personnel. But, man, that scheme, when it's run right by the right guys, and we'll see who even Wake throws out their quarterback, it's Josh Griffiths or whoever else, but it just feels like Clausen rolls somebody out there that knows how to read it, knows how to execute it, and then third downs. If you've got third and short, you just kind of have to say, man, can you win third downs? It, it is the most frustrating thing to see a Wake offense rush down the field methodically because of that slow mesh.
2: My dad's favorite expression that's about as much fun as watching paint dry.
0: The part that we're missing though, and this is part of the reason Wake has struggled with their quarterback situation, it'd be slow mesh, slow mesh, and then Sam Hartman would throw a 14 yard pass that would be on the money to whoever the receiver. I mean, I remember the touchdown last year, Renardo Green was. I think his hands were completely around the ball or the receiver and it still got through for a touchdown. I mean, I I don't think that can be overstated about their quarterback situation. Now I'm not going to suggest that there's no chance FSU loses. I've seen the FSU wake forest series over the years, but (laughs) I I, I would say that, that, that. So one thing Florida state frequently plays wake forest in September before the, uh, the attrition takes its toll on a team. That's not as deep. And so catching them in week nine that's not a luxury FSU's are, are always had, and, and and plus this is a better FSU team than last year. So I, I'm still not looking forward to see the slow, seeing the slow mash, but I'm not overly worried about it. I guess is what I'm saying.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I I tend to think a Florida State with this level of talent should comfortably beat Wake Forest. Um, what what I have the hang up of is, except for Sam Hartman and some personnel. Wake still won that game by ten points last year, and two years ago, Forest Lake fumbled left and right and gave that gave any opportunity of being competitive up at Wake Forest in twenty twenty one. I know they're different teams. I know it's different years. I think there is part of this. I don't want to say aura because it's not an aura of Wake. There's this stigma of how games get away from you between the slow mesh, between what Clawson can can kind of build within a game plan. So there are concerns, but I also think maybe by the fourth quarter, those concerns will be far in the rear view mirror because you're, you'll be playing backups and the Seminoles will be way ahead.
2: So you're not going to ask do. the offense to do better in the third quarter. You are going to let them wait till the fourth quarter.
3: KJ, I'll, I'll put it in uh, email. And okay. no, no no carrier pigeons, no Twitter DM. Well, make sure we'll, we'll you say... put,
2: the, uh, put in there return receipt requested. We want to make sure they read it
0: we'll you didn't do. think I do that did you
2: block
0: and that is impressive KJ all right Bob I'm going to talk you off the ledge in our next segment here when we uh, look at uh, what Florida State has done when they have fallen behind in games this year so should that happen there's not a need to be concerned uh, we'll continue with front Reynolds right after this
1: Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles. Now, I don't know. Did you guys
0: bother to open the attachment I sent you earlier today? I did, did. I did. You did?
3: So, this is it. sort of, I, I haven't given it full detail. it deserves, but but hit us with your uh, your research.
0: well, to be clear, this could go under the bucket of I think the the broad bucket is this team has something about it that it responds. Uh, you talked about the word response from Norvell. It responds when challenged. And so you got to credit everybody that's on the field and the whole team in these situations. You got to credit for Norvell for the way he's called things or Atkins in these scenarios. <laughs> But the basic premise is that if if you want to talk about Jordan Travis still having a Heisman chance, and a lot of things would have to go right. He needs a game where he puts up six touchdowns, right? He needs five touchdowns against Miami or something to really open some eyes. But but if you look at the context of these games, so Florida State was trailing LSU middle of the second quarter, 14-7, to seven, and it kind of felt like LSU, it felt like FSU needed to do something. So FSU goes on a 75-yard drive. Jordan goes 5-6 six for 64 yards with a touchdown, three rushes for 14 yards, converts on a third and one. FSU ties the game, and that starts a 38-3 to run to put away the game. Then against BC, FSU's trailing 10-3, and I know it's just BC, but they didn't touch the ball, FSU, for the second time until the second quarter. And so you're worried if you don't score there, the next thing you know, you're losing 17-3 at half. Well, they go on another 75-yard drive. Travis goes 2-2 two two for 38 yards, one rush for 17 yards, and they're tied at 10, and that starts a 28-0 run in the game. And these read better if you're, if you're actually reading them instead of me sharing them like this, so I won't go through all of them. But, but the bottom line is over the course of the season when an FSU is, has needed a drive because they're behind – Travis's numbers on these drives are, are just ridiculous through the roof. He's 30, of 41 for 407 yards with four touchdowns. And he's rushed 12 times for 73 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, that to me is if you're, if you're going to look at criteria for why somebody is leading their team or should be a Heisman candidate, I don't think it gets any better than those numbers. I mean, you can, you can dive in, but it's, it's incredibly impressive when you look at them that way.
2: Well, and the other thing is, what do outstanding players do they make everybody around them better right so you mentioned it uh in the uh in the bc game with his exploits uh fsu then goes on uh to a 28-0 run 28-0 against clemson they go on a 24-7 run because of the exploits Uh, virginia tech they go on a 17-0 run and then, as we mentioned, fourth quarter against Duke, a 21 to nothing run. I mean, not only is the offense affected, but it appears that the whole team is affected by what he's able to do. And and Tommy, forgive me, you broke up a little bit. I just want to make sure our listeners understand. And those things that Tom's researched in those games that we're talking about, uh, Jordan Travis was 35 of 41. Okay. In Wildwood, that's real close to 90%. I'm just saying four touchdown passes, 12 rushes for 73. That's about a six yard average with two on the ground. And that's just, you know, the snapshot of those things. Uh, I am absolutely disappointed. It's not the right word, but I don't think Travis is going to get uh, enough notoriety to be considered in the Heisman like I thought he would at the beginning of the year, I'll take, and so will he, a 7-0 record versus Travis already having thrown for three thousand yards or whatever it would be off the chart. But he certainly fulfills Tom's biggest and appropriate criteria. You know, how valuable are you to your team?
3: So his best asset might be competitiveness, right? As a as a leader, as a passer as a guy who's learned and, and wanted to be better as a passer. Again, three years ago, we were asking, can this kid really even throw? He's a passer, he's not a thrower. And I think he's really shown us that kind of growth. Uh, you know, Tom Luganville, I think I said it a couple of times between TV broadcasts and social media. He's not sure anybody has grown more in college football from day one than Jordan Travis. It, it's a pretty incredible Journey that he's really been on um i think we have to say also he's grown around the coaching staff he's grown around his teammates the quality of players has improved every year from 2020 21 22 now better receivers better tight ends running back who trey benson's going to hit that gear in the second half of the season we, we think I think it's it's sort of just all that really good formula for a successful offense. Now, KJ, to your point, does it resonate in Heisman votes? Who knows? Because of the regionalization of votes, Drake May votes could pull away from Jordan Travis votes. And out West, Michael Penix votes could pull from Caleb Williams votes. The Heisman vote is just so weird. And and I, I mean, I love the discussion, but the most valuable guy for Florida State is what Jordan Travis does, all these various competitive things that he brings to the table.
2: Plus, well, let's be fair, guys. Tommy, let's be fair. Jordan can't win the Heisman because he's at Florida State, and his last name doesn't start with a W.
0: So it doesn't compute. Well, exactly. So we should have just – it would have been a much shorter segment, but we should have just started with that, Keith. Uh, so, J.J. McCarthy is – he's he's the uh, – got the best odds this week, the Michigan quarterback. Let me ask you, how much game pressure has J.J. McCarthy had on him at any point this season? He's had zero game pressure on him. And, oh, by the way, he's known what defense the other team was going to be playing every play that he's thrown in the football this year. Evidently that's, now, evidently, that's true. The, the bigger picture – so – I long shot is not the right word for Jordan because he's fourth or fifth in the odds right now. So that's not long shot. He's still hanging around. And a couple guys, uh, you know, Drake may may be off the radar now because they lost to Virginia. Right. And some, some of this will sort itself, but Jaden Daniels, Keith disagrees. I think he's still heavily in the mix. And if they beat Alabama LSU next week, I think he's going to move to the top. Now, if they lose to Alabama, he probably didn't play as well. And he's got three losses now, and he's probably out of contention, but forgetting the Heisman, The other thing that stuck out on these drives to me, especially when you think about the Duke game and this offense trying to make progress, remember how much time we spent the first three or four games of the year talking about all the deep shots FSU was taking? But if you look at these drives, these are not, most of them are not deep shots. I mean, and I'll just read through the 10 plays, 75 yards against LSU, six plays, 75 yards against BC, 13 plays, 75 yards against Clemson, then five plays, 75 yards. Virginia Tech was a two-play drive after that game got close. That's because Benson had a 62-yard run. But against Duke in the first half, they had 13 plays, 85 yards. And then they had 14 plays and 96 yards at the end of the game. And that maybe is what has me most excited if you think about it. That's against a good defense, both of those drives. And it involved, on the first one, they threw to three different tight ends. I mean, it wasn't as if Keon was – I mean, they were double. they were taking Keon out of the game. I just – it really started to look like what FSU's offense could be, and and Jordan running is a big part of that.
3: I I still think Jordan is – again, he wants to be a passer. Fundamentally, that's what he wants to be. I think he will be a runner as it's necessary. When necessary, he will do it. And was it very much necessary late third quarter, fourth quarter, Saturday night? Yeah, he did it. I think we're going to see – calculated risks being taken by Jordan. I think the coaches have even admitted to, they know he's not going to be the type of guy who really should be running 10, 12 times a game, but the opportunities are there and we've seen it. Yes. The offense looks a lot better when, when Jordan is is willing, when he's got those opportunities to run.
0: I don't know if you saw it uh, when you did the rewatch, I thought there were two or three plays in the first half where if Jordan keeps the ball, I mean, the the defensive end is there, but the end is two and a half yards away from Travis at the time he's handing the ball off. And if he keeps it, there's nobody between that defensive end and the sideline. And it seems to me that there was 10 or 15 yards there pretty easily. Now, maybe not, but it feels like that run is there a lot more frequently for Jordan. But you're right. he's, He's got to manage it. Hopefully we don't have to see it this week to Keith's point. Hopefully we just, uh, you know, I I don't blame the
2: coaching staff for ever discussing it, but I'm I'm convinced that there are certain times, even full series, when Jordan is instructed, all right, it's an RPO, but don't keep it, or at least strongly suggest it. And Mike Norvell even mentioned this in, in early week comments, you know, in the second half, they called some designed runs, so those are intentionally uh, focused on Travis running. Um, you don't like using them a lot, as you to your point, Tommy. You don't want him to have ten or twelve carries. I get that, but I think there's also um, sometimes when they put a little bit of a rain or a little bit of a governor on Travis, and and he responds to it. And other, other times when they take it off. And then he responds to that. Personal opinion, I've been wrong before. Shut up, Tom.
0: No, what I was going to say is what Florida State fans want then is when it's sent in as a handoff, they want Jordan to go Cade clubnik and just keep the ball and run himself around the left side of the line. Yeah, is that'll that work well.
2: That'll work really well.
0: How about that mess? All right. Bob, anything else that uh, we should be aware of as we get ready to go to uh, Winston-Salem and Wake Forest yet again?
3: Hey, and that I, says it all. I, I was going to turn the conversation to basketball, but do we want to really go down that road just yet?
0: <laughs> I'm going to say no for right now. All right. We'll pause for now. All Although right. I know Florida State got a big commitment and we had ACC operation basketball and the season is is rapidly approaching, but uh, we'll, we'll give it more of its due than just a gloss over right here. Bob, we appreciate it, sir. As always.
3: All right. Take care.
0: Our Osceola insider, Bob, for anything, we'll have more front row knolls right after this
3: front roll
1: Moles is presented by hobson chevrolet of cairo georgia get your best deal the hobson way and by the earl bacon agency ensuring your future together now back to tom and keith
0: welcome back appreciate bob ferrante staying with us as always i know that uh, statistics aren't necessarily the best radio but Point is, Jordan's been pretty good at, at money time. And the, the team overall, let's go back to the broader picture, Keith. This team does seem to have a resolve about it. For as inconsistent as they can be at times, when it is the key time, you can't argue with what the results have been in those moments. They have absolutely responded. And and they've stepped on the throat of their opponents in in that time span.
2: You know, we would like to see more. We, we, we would be wonderful with some more Southern Miss scores, 62-7, 62-14, whatever the case may be. But again, a- echoing your point, uh, when, when it's been needed, this team has rallied. And one of the things that, that it, it, again, my opinion, uh, others can hold uh, obviously different opinions, but one of the things that, that makes a team capable, Tommy, of performing in those situations is when they genuinely enjoy playing with each other, because then you get completely selfless instead of being selfish, and then you don't care who steps up to do something. You just do your part and then take advantage when you get an opportunity, and you don't worry about getting uh, the the limelight or the the, the recognition for it. Uh, and I think that's a testament to the uh, to the way this group gets together. We talked about this for years with Leonard Hamilton's basketball team. You know, that was one of the things that was consistent about Florida State basketball up until recently, and hopefully Leonard and Stan and them can recapture that. But that's a direct, in my opinion, that is a direct result of kids saying, we're gonna commit to the team and not to our individual statistics or our individual wants, Uh, which in today's environment, that's a a little different, isn't it?
0: fun to watch it is fun being down on the sideline talked about this a lot but you see the entire team celebrating for other guys and that like deuce spans kickoff for example it was obviously very big at that time in the game but deuce is a guy who's worked hard and not had a lot of reward for it in terms of on-field payoff and that was a moment where and he got to break the rock the other night after the game probably for both those reasons that i just mentioned it was a big spot and also it was it was good to see him Cash in like that. Well,
2: another thing about that, not to cut you off, but Coach Norvell's talked about it. If our listeners haven't heard, there's a little more of a jump in his step. There's a little more confidence in how he carries himself. I mean, you you achieve some success. That that reward individually is increased confidence. And and Coach Norvell has said that has been very evident with him span first couple, three days of practice.
0: Yeah, it is. And Span sort of an unsung hero, but if you look at the way the offense finished that game, Keith, or just over the course of the game, because Ia Holmes scored a touchdown, Koa Feely t- scored a touchdown, Rodney Hill scored a touchdown. He had three tight ends catching the football. Ikeem Williams is making a first down catch when when Johnny Wilson goes out. So you really saw the ball get spread around, and you see just how difficult it can be to defend Florida State. When, when they do start, you know, Jordan starts running is another thing. It, it's not as easy as just saying, okay, we've got to take away that receiver and that running back, and we're good. There's just too many weapons out there.
2: And, and the encouraging factor of that, and this is intended to be a compliment, I hope it doesn't come off as too negative of, of a comment, but this offense still hasn't achieved nearly what they can achieve. There's still a big, big upside, a big ceiling on the offensive side of the ball for Florida State in 2023.
0: And I think a big reason why is that the offensive line has been pretty nicked up. Not torn ACL out for the year, but lots of bumps and bruises. And so you see a different five almost every series you look out there as they move guys around and they figure out which tackle can play. And, you know, there's no more bye weeks in the season. Florida State, there's five weeks to go in the regular season and six straight weeks counting the ACC championship. So FSU's just going to have to piece it together, which they continue to do a good job of.
2: A part of that goes back to another analogy that our our listeners have heard me talk about for years. You know, you can't have a team of thoroughbreds. You got to have a few mules put in there and that's not that I'm not being critical or being uh, negative on anybody because I was a mule. I was 50 years ago when dinosaurs were roaming the earth, but I was still a mule. No, I was not a jackass. Don't you call me that Tom Block. I was a mule you got to have those glue guys. That's the, the modern term. Uh, and FSU's got a great mix of that. There's some great athletes out there. There's some great football players, but there are also some really good football players that are not great athletes. And those are your glue guys. Those are the guys that you can count on and FSU has got a really, really good mix between the two in my opinion.
0: Heath, what do you think FSU should do at the running back position slash how can they get Trey Benson some touches where he does have a head of steam i.e. we saw against Syracuse they actually threw an angle route to him now he dropped it but you don't see that you see more swing passes to the backs than an angle route but I'm just saying Trey Benson as we all know if he's already moving forward Nobody wants to stand in front of him to tackle him. And, and while he's struggling to get some traction behind the line of scrimmage, maybe there's a way to get him a few more touches with a head of steam. Two, two things
2: to answer your question. Number one, I still believe that Trey is battling some type of nagging injury. Not, not – not, I didn't say that correctly. Some type of nagging hurt. You play hurt, you do not play injured. I believe if, if the staff would be honest, there's something troubling him, okay? Like a, cow, a Dalvin Cook that'll play the entire season and then you find out he had a bad shoulder and had to have surgery. There, there's something not 100% there, that's okay. The answer, other answer to your question is I really think he would excel in, that, in those what we used to call toss sweeps. In other words, instead of setting him up in the pistol right behind the quarterback, set him halfback left, half back right, let him take off and Jordan just throws the ball to him, pitches it to him, and then let him be going in ahead of steam and making the decision to cut up, to continue on, to cut back, or whatever the case may be. I'd love to see him get five or seven additional touches that way.
0: Yeah, I think, and obviously the offensive staff, if we can think of it, they're smart enough to oh, think no, of it no and, and try to try to figure that out. The one other guy, and we've only got about two minutes left here, Keith. You you referenced this on our Sunday show because he reminded you of George Rogers. But I think we need to tip our cap again to what Jaheim Bell has brought to this team. We talked about his career high in eight catches, but when I went back and watched it, I mean he's blocking all over the place. That guy is a warrior for FSU out there. And and he
2: is. We talk about being good with the ball in your hands or good after the catch. So we talk about Johnny or we talk about Keon and how good they are after the catch. Well, the thing about Bell is is normally a receiver doing something after the catch. He's in an open field. You know, he's making somebody miss that type of thing. Bell does it with people all around him, sometimes even hanging on him. You know, he'll catch the ball and get immediately hit. And, and still find a way to break a tackle or run through an arm tackle or something of that nature. I mean, he, he has got a very unique instinctive skill uh, in, in traffic. I mean, he's, he's great in open field because he's very athletic, but he's also really, really, really good in traffic. And, and again, as I said on Sunday, I think you could line him up at tailback and give him the ball, you know, 10 or 15 times a game. Uh, and he would end up being, uh, you know, a very worthy uh, tailback in, in performance. He can do it all.
0: We're, we're almost out of time. The one thing that we have, we've seen, you know, with Trey Beanson, but that was when they were running counter. We've not seen it in these short yardage situations where you just put Bell as the lead blocking back and put Benson behind them. I mean, typically they've used DJ Lundy at the goal line, but it feels like if we're still struggling to get a yard, maybe you go back to the old traditional eye.
2: I still think that the the Norvell offense works best with two running backs because it's so diverse and so it does so many different things and can keep the defense so off guard. I understand. I understand. They go one back, they go no backs, but you put two backs there and I'm a safety, I'm going, oh my gosh, what are they going to throw at me now?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have time to dive deeper into that. But uh, let's circle that and come back to that, Keith, next time we uh, convene right here on Front Row Knowles. Uh, Enjoy the game this weekend, folks. We'll talk to you next week.